Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing well. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I I feel like we may not put a lot of weight or significance to, and that is how we show up. How do we model self-esteem? How do we model resiliency? And that's really important for kids with anxiety or OCD because their ability to be resilient will correlate with their ability to have a long, successful, productive life with anxiety or OCD. I don't know why I said long. That was weird. (laughs) And their self-esteem, which is really not self-esteem. It's more like self-compassion and self-love. But I I was going to change the word self-esteem in this title, but then I thought, you know, parents look for self-esteem. They're, they're, we're not always looking at the, the self-love, self-compassion. And that really is the foundation of self-esteem. And we'll talk about that more as we go on. But anxiety and OCD hits self-esteem. It hits the self-love. It, it hits the self-compassion. If your child doesn't have a lot of self-compassion, that negative self-talk can impact their journey with anxiety or OCD. So self-esteem and resiliency are, are really important for our kids to really tap into their tools and live a successful life squashing their anxiety or OCD. So we do have a component to play in that. And I always say we are only one piece of the puzzle, but I want to talk about one aspect of that piece today because it's nice to look at what we can control because there's a lot that we cannot control, <laughs> right? But before we get started, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. The link is in the show notes. I always say circle back if you haven't checked in with them in a while because they're constantly providing new cities, states, and countries to their list and taking new insurances. So always good to check back with them if you haven't in a while. All right. I also want to mention that I have a lot of free webinars. (laughs) So many that I actually just created a webinar page on my website so that you can tap into those free resources. I have a free webinar on how to handle difficult behavior caused by anxiety or OCD. I have one on five things every parent raising a child with OCD needs to know, and one on five things every parent raising a child with anxiety needs to know, because those are two very different things. I actually have one for therapists, what most therapists don't know about OCD and should, and so that's something they can check out. And you can check out all of those free worksheets, not worksheets. I do have worksheets too, but that's not on that page. Free webinars at natashadaniels.com slash webinars. Okay. Let's move into this topic for today. So why does it matter what our self-esteem is or why does it matter whether we're resilient or not? And that might seem obvious, but it may not. And so I want to start with that. And this can have, this can have two impacts on you and, and a lot in the middle. It can make you feel like, wow, you know what? My mental health is doing something. Like I'm not giving myself enough credit for all the work that I'm doing and how that's actually impacting my kids. So this episode can be kind of uplifting, 
because you might be like, I do that. I do that. Oh my gosh, this is really helpful. I didn't realize how helpful. And for some of you, it might be, I didn't realize I could do these things, or I didn't realize helping myself or helping my perceptions will directly help my kids. And so it might be hopefully inspiring. Uh, it's not meant to to make you feel bad. <laughs> None of my podcasts are, are meant to make, make you feel bad because everything is actionable and we're a fluid human being. Like we are constantly evolving, changing, developing, and growing. And that is a beautiful thing. And so I had posted something on Facebook the other day about working on our, our own mental health. And someone left a comment and it was like, who has time for that when we have, you know, so much on our plate? And I thought, and I don't reply to things like that just because, you know, I'm not a confrontational person. And I find that sometimes people are just looking for a fight. So if someone posts something that I disagree with or, you know, isn't doesn't resonate with really my messaging, I just leave it alone. But I thought in my head, how sad. Because one, our working on our own mental health models self-love. It models, we're gonna talk all about that today, but it models so much for our kids. And our kids see what we do, not what we say. And and so to me, it was like missing a huge component of how we help our kids. And it doesn't take time. You know, it's not a time factor. It's not like I have to work on my own mental health. So I'm going to necessarily go and get a therapist every week or go to the spa every week. It's a mentality shift. And the more we tune into ourselves, the more we model really healthy ways to to live life and to have a relationship with yourself. Because having a healthy, loving, compassionate relationship with yourself is the best thing you can model for your kids. Uh, it's not like it's going to cure their anxiety or OCD. <laughs> I don't want to like, you know, sprinkle some fairy dust on you, but it is a huge gift we can give our kids. So I'm going to break it down. I want to talk about self-esteem. And then after the break, we're going to go into resiliency. They do overlap. And so you'll see that as we continue. So I want to jump into self-esteem first. So when we talk about self-esteem, like I had said at the front at the beginning of this, really what we're what we're talking about is self-compassion and self-love. And so the first concrete thing that we want to look at is how do we talk to ourselves? And we can start with internally because that drives our external behavior. You know, if I'm saying to myself in my head, you stupid, stupid idiot, I can't believe you did that. Why'd you do that? And I'm not saying it out loud. My behaviors though will eventually show that. And I think we don't give kids enough credit. They see things, they feel things. We have kids with anxiety or CD are very empathic. They can really soak up people's emotions even without you saying anything. So sometimes parents will say, well, I don't say anything like that in front of my kids. And it's not what we only say, it's what we do. And so starting with that internal dialogue will really help that external behavior. And a lot of us, including myself, I talk out loud. So what I'm thinking kind of comes out my mouth, especially since I lost my husband. I find, you know, I'm home alone for long periods of time. You know, my kids go to school. It's just me and my dog. and I'm talking, I'm like, I'm narrating my day. You know, I'm like, oh, I actually talk to my dog a lot. But even when dog's not here, I still talk to her. That's weird, I know. <laughs> but I, I have really upped the talking to myself. And some of you might be self-talkers and our kids can hear that. They can hear that whether they are, you know, in another room or it becomes a habit. And so 
They hear it when you're driving or they hear it when you're talking to your friends on the phone. That's actually talking to a, a true life human being and not to yourself, but we're a true life human beings too. You could be your own best friend. So pay attention to that inner dialogue. I am very aware when I say something negative about myself. And part of it, I think, is because I don't do it often because I've been working on this for the last, I don't know, like five years, six years, but very intensely for the last two years. I think it's foreign to my kids when they hear me say something negative out loud, which does happen periodically. They swoop in and try to be like, oh, mom, don't say that about yourself. Or no, that's not true. You're really, you know, and they try to boost me up. And that's not a healthy, you know, thing to do in the sense that I don't want my kids to feel, I don't want to put them in a position where they have to cheerlead me. You know, that's, I want to do that for them. But throughout this entire conversation, I want to preface it with, the messiness of this and that messy is good. And so it can be very easy to interpret the title of this podcast or even this conversation, which you won't as the further we, deeper we go into this, you're not going to misinterpret this, but let's just, you know, nip it in the bud. We want to model the messiness of life. We want to model the messiness of self-esteem, the messiness of resiliency, having a facade of perfection. Like I always am positive to myself. And I always love myself and I say all these positive things, but internally I'm really not. I'm doing it because I want to model it for my kids, but it's not authentic. It doesn't work because kids can smell fakeness a mile away and they know and see more than we give them credit for. And much more importantly is you're not really feeling it. And you're your child's anchor. I say this a lot. You're your child's anchor. And so if you're running on an empty battery or if you are beating yourself up because you're not helping your child or you're not doing things right or whatever it is, you're actually boomeranging yourself and you're, this is going to sound really weird. It's like you're hurting your child because when you hurt yourself, you're not there for your child. And so inadvertently, and I'm saying this for those of you that are like, I don't have time for me. I only have time for my kids. We're like that woman who made that comment about who has time for this. Who can afford to not have time for this? <laughs> One, it's not a time issue ever. It's a, it's a mindset. But if I am beating myself up or I'm not filling my cup, metaphorically, you know, I'm not talking about going to get your nails done. I'm talking about your mindset. Then I'm not going to be that anchor for my child because I'm going to be bobbing around in the sea of chaos with them. And so you helping your child starts with helping yourself. So. The first step, I always like to give you very concrete things, is understanding that this is a daily practice. And I say that a lot to my kids now. It's not about arriving. It's not about, oh, I have good self-esteem now, or I am resilient. It's about intentionally arriving. Why did I say arriving? It's okay. Side note, I'm very jet lagged right now. (laughs) It was spring break and we went to Hawaii. Because anyone who follows me or have been following me for a while know that since I lost my husband, travel has been the number one priority. And I would probably be a digital nomad. That is actually a thing for those of you that don't know. If I didn't have kids in school, I would just travel the world. But we took a red eye last night from Hawaii because I wanted to like squeeze in every last hour. So we got on a flight at like 10. No, actually it, it didn't take off until like 11:30 p.m. It was a 10:45 flight, but first they couldn't find seats for people, then they couldn't shut the door. I was like, what is going on here? Anyway, long story short, I got in this morning at 8 a.m. 
I slept for a few hours and then I got up and I'm like, I have to record a podcast. Uh, And you're going to be hearing this a few weeks after I got back. So a bit delayed, but that is why it'll be more than normal inability to retrieve words. (laughs) Can't even make a sentence on that. No, I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. So starting with the concept that this is a daily practice and then we're not arriving anywhere. We're not getting to a goal. And so that's one of the main things I had to learn in the last two years since I've really, I kind of went on a new journey when I lost my husband on self-love and self-compassion. I know that sounds really weird, but when you lose your other half, you realize that you really shouldn't have been a half of a whole, that you should have been a whole. That really came to my awareness when I lost my husband, that I was half of a whole. I depended on him a lot. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but my identity was wrapped up into him and how much he loved me. You know, I have social anxiety. And so that's a big part of social anxiety is get needing other people's love and approval constantly to feel whole. And so that kind of flung me into this journey of really feeling whole and to, to feel complete no matter who else adds to my life. I know that sounds really weird, but some of you are going to totally get that. And so I realized early on, I do have like a life coach that's helping me who's amazing. But I did realize with her help, honestly, that because I would beat myself up, oh, you know, I had a rough week. I lost my cool or I wasn't compassionate to myself. Or, you know, it was like beating yourself up for not being self-compassionate is like an oxymoron. It was like jumbo shrimp. You know, it's like, that's not the essence of the whole point. Right. And so it was like, just you're showing up every day. You're showing it's a practice. And that, that shift of understanding that this is a practice. It's a way of being, and I'm not ever going to nail it hundred percent. That kind of helped me feel freer because I'm such a competitive person within myself. I'm such a go-getter that I want to do self-compassion, right? <laughs> I want to do resiliency, right? I want to, and that, that, that's the opposite of the essence of self-compassion. It's recognizing you're going to make mistakes. It's recognizing that you're going to show up imperfectly. It's recognizing that life is messy and that you're going to be compassionate to yourself about, about that. And so I think that's an important caveat in this conversation is to recognize that you're not going to do this well, and that's okay. That's part of the process. And so conveying that to our kids is really helpful. And what we do in the messiness of life has so much more weight than what we say to our kids. And so I think a lot of times when we're looking at anxiety or OCD, we see ourselves as a coach and we're, you know, maybe getting them to do exposures or challenges or reframe their, their cognitive distortions, the way they think about things and, you know, cheerleading them to do hard things. And we don't think about how we're modeling this. So look at the self-talk internally and then externally. So paying attention to that extra voice, I'm very aware And it took me a while in the last two years. I'm very aware of what I'm saying to myself. If it's making me feel good or feel bad, I don't want false positivity in my head or out of my mouth. And so when I say something, whether it's internally to myself or it's externally, there's validity to it. There's authenticity to it. I'm not, you know, sprinkling this false positivity. And I think that's an important key. And so we can show our kids this in in a multitude of ways. So besides the self-talk, that's the obvious one, how you react to your own mistakes. So when you're making a mistake, whether you said something to your kids or you handled something wrong, you lost your cool, what else? And it could be something totally unrelated to them. You took a wrong turn, 
you left something back at home. How do you handle that? And that's important too. And so, and to me, there's always time to circle back and do some repairing. So let me try to give you some concrete examples. For me, a lot of times, I'm trying to think, you know, it's like you really don't realize how much you talk in a negative way or or what the story is that you're giving yourself. Like, oh, I always lose things or I'm, I'm always so careless or I'm always so clumsy. I am blah, blah, blah. I am something negative. Those have power. And so even if it slips out of your mouth, which it will because you're human, you know, I am clumsy. And then you can, freak, you can, if you catch it, which you may not always, I try to do this. I'll say, I'm not clumsy. You know what? I'm actually just tired and I need to be nicer to myself. I mean, you might even just say that, or you might say something a little bit more subtle, like, you know, these shoes are just clunky for me. You can do some repairing if you catch it. You're not going to always catch it. And that's okay too, because that's being human and messy so that I pay attention to that. And then for me, one of the things that really like starts to crush me is when I'm not showing up the way I want to. And I'm like, I lose my cool or I'm angry. And then I feel like a horrible person. Can you relate to this? <laughs> you know, I'm sure I'll, most of you can, you know, you're like, I want to show up the best way I can for my kids. And maybe that's like a very intentional intention. <laughs> that sounds very redundant, but like I'm intentionally trying to show up in a very mindful way. And then it's ugly. I lose my cool. I lose my patience. I'm irritable. And then for me, and I wonder if this happens to you too, it's really the aftermath that's even worse because then I, for like the next day or two, it doesn't really go that far for me. Like the whole evening and then maybe a little bit in the morning, I feel really crappy. I'm like, I thought I was going to be like, you know, this Zen mom. I thought I was going to show up and just be mindful. And I said some horrible things or I lost my cool. And one, that's where self-compassion comes in. What do you say to yourself during those times? Do you beat yourself up and you say, oh my gosh, I'm just, you know, I can't ever get it right. Or I lost my cool. and I'm such a horrible person. Like pay attention to that narrative. And then you can reframe that in whatever authentic way seems, you know, helpful. Like I will say to myself, if it's an external thing, they're messing with my hormones right now. <laughs> You're like, Natasha tells me too much stuff. I know it's just part of my personality, but you know, I'm 50 they're messing with my hormones. And so part of it was, you know, and I read every little side effect of every little thing It's probably not always good, but it says, you know, increase your agitation for a while. And I felt very agitated. And so sometimes, you know, I might say, well, I'm tired or, well, you know, I'm taking this new medication or I'm taking these new supplements or, you know, be kind to yourself. See that it's not always, it's sometimes it's an external thing, you know, well, you know, I didn't go to bed until late. It's not an excuse. It's self-compassion. You're not excusing your behavior, but you're also saying, this is what was going on for me. Okay. I need a little bit more sleep or whatever it is. And then for me, and I don't know if this would help for you, but for me, it's really important for me to remind myself it's a new day, you know, or tomorrow's a new day, or this is a new hour, blank slate, blank slate. And then for me, it helps me to say, this is a daily practice. And part of a daily practice is making mistakes. You know, a lot of this has come from like me actually getting help myself from a life coach. Like that really helps me to be able to process this with someone. Cause even though you know, this is what I teach to you as a parent. It's different when it's yourself, you know, like, so if you're a therapist or you're a teacher or you're in the helping profession, it's still really helpful for us to get the helpers need help. (laughs) I always feel like the clown needs to laugh because someone else needs to make the clown happy. The helpers need help. 
And that's something to recognize with yourself. If you're not getting your own help or you're not helping yourself, that helpers need help. And you are a helper. You're helping your child. You might be professionally a helper or you might be helping in your family, but you still have to focus on helping yourself. And so for me, a reset and saying it's a daily practice and sometimes I'm going to knock it out of the park and sometimes the park's going to knock me. It's okay. It's fine, right? Blank slate. That does help. And then we want to be able to do some repairing with our kids. And I've talked a lot about this whenever we talk about parental mindset or, you know, in in any work that we're doing as a parent, I do feel like the repairing is a great modeling. And so what do I mean by that? Because that sounds really weird. I mean, I circle back and sometimes I can't circle back for a while, like maybe like 24 hours. And sometimes I can circle back within that moment. It just depends on how far off the cliff I went, but you can circle back and you can say to your kids, well, recently, so when we went to Hawaii, had the hormone thing going on, which was, I don't know why I did that right when we were on this trip. That was really, really not the smartest move. That's okay. Cause I'm human. And then I, I always have to take motion sickness pills whenever I travel really like anything can make me nauseous. <laughs> I like my, like there's inner ear is just never been, we have some issues there, but when I take bonine or dramamine, like a motion sickness pill, it actually makes me really agitated and it makes me very ragey. And so I was pretty nasty the first day. I don't know. I was short tempered. And so I circled back and I said, and I was traveling with my sister and my kids. And so I said to all of them, (laughs) I said, I'm sorry that I was really agitated. You know, I've got these hormone things going on. And then I, you know, motion sickness pills, they do make me very angry and, and I'm tired. And so I apologize that I was very snappy and, and angry. It's not excusing my behavior. I'm not looking for them to say, exonerate me and be like, it's okay. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for people to make me feel better. And again, we don't want to model that either. Like I'm a victim, uh, you know, please help me. It was more of, I'm sorry I was like that. And, and then I will say to my kids, and I said it to them in this moment too. I said, I said, it's not an excuse though. I go, it's still something I have to work on, you know, regardless of whether I am taking hormones or whether I am on a medication that makes me agitated, I'm still in control over my own behavior and I will work on it because every day is a daily practice. And so I get to practice again tomorrow and the next day, just like we all do. So you can take a messy experience and you can actually turn it into like a life lesson for all of you. That's a beautiful thing because you're modeling. I will hear my kids do similar things and I know that it's because it was modeled for them. So that's something to look at. Moving from there, in general with our self-esteem, where we put our focus will also highlight the importance of that for our kids. We have to be so careful with this. So if I'm focusing on body image or how I appear, I've seen so many people in my practice where the kids were consumed with how they looked and their appearance. And then the parent was the same way, or the parent would be consumed with how they look. And then they would also be consumed with how their kids looked or they'd be consumed only with how they look, but it's modeling that. And the child, as soon as they hit their teen years was very similar. And so that can be a tough one, especially for us women, not to stereotype or box us in, but it happens more with us as females, not always, but as parents, we have to be careful about how we talk about our weight or our appearance. Um, This one is, this one's harder for me. And so some of these might be easier for you Maybe you focus on being the best at work and your productivity or how much money you make. And like, that's your success. 
you know, I'm making this much, so I'm very successful. Or maybe you focus on positive things, like I have volunteered here, or I've helped this person, and that makes me feel good, or I've done this. But what we focus on will indicate what's important to our kids as well. Not the whole enchilada, you know, because our kids are their own people. And so we don't want to give so much weight to to our behavior that it's like a direct correlation. It is part of the equation, right? And so if I'm constantly focusing on my weight or my thighs or my complexion or my wrinkles, or I'm constantly focusing on how much money I make or my successes, or I'm focusing on, you know, excelling, you know, we did this marathon and we won this, you know, dance contest, or we scored, you know, we've, we've won four games and no one's beaten us. Like whatever you focus on, it sends a message to your kids that that is the value. That's the importance. And we can focus on positive things. We can focus on negative things. Some of it we can't help. And some of it we can bring to our awareness and say, Ooh, I'm focusing on that too much. And that can be really important because that will really shape the values of your house. And it will really shape the values of your kids sometimes, not always. And so focus on where you put your focus. <laughs> the day of redundancy. I noticed that as I'm getting older, I have focused more on my weight. And then I have shifted that in the last two years as I've been working on self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance. And I've said to my kids out loud because I've changed what I'm eating and they'll say it's like your diet or whatever. And I'll say, it's not a diet. I go, I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy so that I can do all these trips with you. We're traveling a lot. It takes endurance. And I want my legs to be strong so I can walk with you. I want my mind to be strong and I want to feed my mind. Like, And so I'm helping them understand. And I believe this. That's another key thing is if you're blowing smoke up your kids' butts, they're going to they're gonna know that. Like this is, it has to come from your heart. And so that's why you have to actually really do the work yourself to believe these things. And so I want them, I, especially my girls, I want them to know that I am focusing on what I put in my body, not because of the scale, but because of how I want to feel. And I'm not going to put that on them. It's my choice because I'm reaching an age where it's important what I feed my body. So pay attention to what you focus on and then what your philosophical approach is to life. What do you value? Because I think that's important too. Are we valuing only outcome? Are we valuing effort? Are we valuing um, just making a lot of money? Are we valuing, what else do people, like winning, right? I see a lot of times parents will say, like losing is not an option. You know, like these things impact self-esteem because they say what's important and they say what is success. So that's important too. Another thing that I think is really important is your mentality. Like, do you have a victim mentality? Or do you have, I don't know what the opposite of victim mentality is. You probably do, but I don't right now. Kind of like a go-getter. It's not the right word, but is everything everyone else's fault? And that might take a lot to shift because I do feel like people generally have a view of how, with self-esteem, it's interesting because sometimes we'll have a view that everyone's out to get us or all these bad things happen to me. And it's everyone, I'm playing victim. This happened to me and that happened to me. And that I like, I don't have a role to play at all in it. Or do we see things, you can externalize things without being a victim. And so externalizing it is these objective things happen, right? I'm on hormones and it's going to make me a little angry, right? That's objective to some degree (laughs) versus she said this to me and then I, this happened and then 
you know, they, they robbed me out of this money and this person did this to me and I could have been this, but this happened. And that, that is a, that's a personality trait. It doesn't mean that it can't be changed, but whether you view your life as a victim, you know, that everything's happening to you and everything has brought you down or there are objective things that happen in life and you get to control how you interact with it. Up, oh, I had a flat tire. Well, you know what? I got a brand new tire and it turns out that my other three tires needed replacing too. And so, and I had two hours during that day. And so I got new tires, right? How we look at problems in a woe is me versus an objective, just a neutral thing. This happened to me. And then I responded to this and then we moved on. That can really help. I know that I read a book, which I really loved. I actually only loved a little bit of it, but it was a very good book. And it was, excuse my French when I tell you it, but it was called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. He wrote another one. And I wasn't really, I didn't really like his second book, but I really loved that book. And it wasn't about not caring. It was about being intentional with what you do care about. That there was something that he said in there, and I think I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but there was something that he said in there. I was like, life is a series of problems. And that's not a bad thing. That's just an objective fact that life is a series of problems. And even when life is going good, you know, if you're, you know, making a lot of money or, you know, you're living a lavish lifestyle, you still have problems like, oh, you know, the yacht club dues are due, or, you know, you got a flood in your multi-million dollar house. Like it's just bigger problems, but there's no one on this planet who doesn't have problems that they have to interact with on a daily basis you know, an hourly basis. It's just, we all have different problems, but there's always problems and you get to choose which ones you're going to really care about and which ones you're just going to not care about. It doesn't mean that you ignore them, but that really helped me. Like it helped me realize that, that part of life are like navigating these problems, whether there are problems with our kids with anxiety or OCD, or they get worse or they get better problems with health, problems with money, problems in your house, things break down, things happen, cars break down. Like life happens and that is life. And so we can have this victim mentality of like, oh my gosh, and then this happened to me and then this happened to me and a child has anxiety or my child has OCD or this broke down or, you know, we broke up or this happened, this person died. I get it, right? Because that happened to us. But it's like, that is the essence of life. And that doesn't have to be a, a horrible thing. I think once I accepted, like, he's right. Life is a series of problems and you get to decide how you're going to navigate those. And so I've, and my husband's really good at this. He'd be like, something would happen and he would be like, okay, well, let's figure out how to solve it. He just had a very matter of fact attitude. Very few things would like derail him. And he really, in the, in the 12 years that we're together, he really taught me how to live life like that. Because in my family, we live life in a very chaotic way. It was a very victim mentality. It was crisis after crisis. And so it was a very, trauma-based life because it was a very reactive, What what's next? What else is on fire? And so that is another element that you want to look into is how were you raised? What were your role models? How did your parents or the people that raised you model self-esteem and resiliency? And did they crumble? Did they have a victim mentality? Did life, you know, crush them? And I've talked to my kids and I've said, you know, I've talked about this book, didn't tell them the title, but I talked about this book and I'll say, you know, life is a series of obstacles. You know, it's like a maze. 
you get to choose how you want to navigate that maze. You want to get all emotional and hooked into every little thing? Or do you want to say, okay, now this is happening. And what's the solution to this? Easier said than done because you're going to get hooked into things. But his point in the book was you get to choose what is worth caring about. What is worth getting wrapped up? Am I going to care that someone cut me off, you know, when I'm driving or am I going to let that go? And that's that's like, that's a daily practice for me because I get very upset about that kind of stuff. But then why, right? So being, being cognizant of, wow, I'm giving a lot of my energy to that problem. And I, does it really warrant that energy or do I really need to give that energy? And then vocalizing that, I'll say that to my kids. I don't know if I need to really get that upset about that person doing that. I'm trying to think what happened. There was an example of this. So we were in Hawaii and uh, we were at a luau. I feel really proud because I feel like my oldest daughter, who's 19, has become just this incredibly considerate, beautiful person. And it's nice when your kids start to get older and you like see them being these amazing human beings. And you feel, I don't know, I've, like, and in my 11 year old, we were traveling and she's just so, like, so polite to people. And you're like, I had a big part in that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to take full credit on that one because, like, we're modeling. We're modeling manners. Like we're incredibly kind, considerate, and polite in my house. And the world is not like that. And so my kids get very upset when they see other people being ingrates, you know, or like rude to service people. Like we're just, we see everyone, you know, as equal and we want to treat anyone with respect. And so, and I'm seeing that in my kids. And that's, again, that's a modeling thing, right? How I view people and then my, how my kids are viewing people. If I treat service people horrible or like they're beneath me or people who are serving you or doing anything for you, your kids are going to see that and they're going to do that too. And that's, you know, to me, that's not, not a great thing that I want to model for my kids. But anyway, we were at a luau and the table next to us, they were all talking and there was people performing and my daughter was like closest to them. And she was getting so upset and she was just like, I could tell it was like ruining her luau. <laughs> like, you know, first world problems, your luau is getting ruined, but she was getting very upset about how rude they were being and disrespectful. And I said to her, but you're letting them ruin your time here. Let it go. You know, does it matter? Like we don't control them or how they're being like their rudeness isn't a reflection on you. And I don't think she was able to actually let it go, but my whole point is that would be something that I'd be aware of and say, okay, I'm, I'm caring about something that I really don't want to care about. So I'm going to let it go. And the art of letting go is such a beautiful thing to model. So think about that. That's a lot to think about. When we get back from the break, I want to talk a little bit more focused on resiliency because that really will make or break your child's long-term success with anxiety or OCD. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do, so we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP-trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. 
there's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. Let's touch a little bit on resiliency in particular. So we talked a lot about self-esteem. It did have a lot to do with fostering some resiliency, but let's talk about that directly. So when I talk about resiliency, it's like how quickly your kids bounce back from struggles. You're only one piece of the puzzle. So if your child doesn't have a lot of resiliency, it's not like, okay, now take the whip out and just beat yourself up because that's obviously your fault. It's not. We have to recognize that there's a lot of factors that go into our child's self-esteem and their ability to be resilient, including genetics and personality. And so we're one component. It doesn't mean that we can't really boost up that environmental component, but we are one component. So that that's always an important thing. I Sometimes I see parents taking too much ownership for everything that their kids do. And it's like, you're just one piece of the puzzle. Like when my kids are polite, I'll take all the credit. <laughs> I'm like, they're polite because of me, but I'm one piece of the puzzle. I might have, I could have had, you know, an obnoxious kid and that wouldn't have been my fault per se. It's like I'm modeling politeness to people, but there's environmental, there's physical, there's genetic stressors, there's genetic components. There's all sorts of things that go on that make our kids uniquely their own. However, we can model resiliency. And so resiliency is what do we do when the going gets rough? Do we crumble? And guess what? Crumbling is okay. This is going to maybe be a weird thing to say, but sometimes I think being too resilient and not showing the human side is also not 100% helpful because it's conveying this unrealistic expectation that, you know, I'm going to put my chin up and I'm going to navigate this perfectly fine. And this horrendous thing is happening and I'm, I'm showing resiliency and, and it's not impacting me at all. I don't think that's necessarily a great thing to show either. Like kids need to know we're human. They need to know it's okay to crumble, but then it's, what do we do with the crumbles? Crumbles? Crumbs. Let's just say, what do we do with the crumbs? And you can vocalize this. You can say, this is hard. 
Or you know what? It's okay to lose it for a little while. When my husband died, I had one day that was like really, I had a couple of really ugly days, which is totally fine. You know, like, and there was a lot of pressure and expectation, primarily from my youngest, who did not want to see me cry. She didn't, so, you know, crying, and it was part of actually, it's a little part of her OCD, is that when people show emotion, it almost like they almost become contaminated. It's like, a, it's a hard thing to articulate, but it's very triggering for her. And she's like an empath little kid. Like she soaks up people's emotions as well. So there's a lot going on there, but I had to say to her, it's okay for me to lose it. Sometimes this is a huge loss. This is very overwhelming. It would be unusual to not crumble for this. We're going to have ugly days. I had a really ugly day <laughs> where the school called me. They're like, uh, are you okay? Do you want to talk to the ther- the school counselor? It was very embarrassing. But having self-compassion and be like, of course that happened to me. I'm sitting here by myself all alone, no friends or family. And you know, your best friend and your husband dies. Like, yeah, you're going to be really unstable for the first week, right? Give it to you. So we want to show our kids that resiliency doesn't mean that we're superhuman. Resiliency means we crumble perhaps and we pick up the crumbs and then we regroup and we don't not get back in the game. And that can be a hard thing. And so some of the concrete ways that we can do that is on a daily basis, do you show up for challenges? Do you give up easily? Do you do things that are difficult? And you communicate that to your kids, you know, and you can do this in a multitude of ways. If you're working and you have a hard time at work and something doesn't go right, or you're doing something and it's a project and it's going awry and then you're working on it, that's a great thing to model. I think sometimes we don't talk to our kids enough about our life journey and sometimes we talk about it too much. And so, you know, there's a balance. So we don't want our kids to be our confidant. I, I always tell my kids, and, and some of you might have a different style, but I always tell my kids, I'm not your best friend. I'm your best mom. <laughs> and there's a difference because a best friend is not a best mom. Like I am your mom and you have your friends, but I can be your best mom. And as you get older, we'll have a closer friendship, but I'm always going to be your mom, you know? And cause those are healthy boundaries I think to have, but within that as a best mom, instead of a best friend, there are going to be times where I might share things with them you know, I talk to my kids like they're human and they get it, but I'm always aware of what message I'm conveying. And so it's authentic, but it's also packaged in a way that is appropriate for my kids. And as they get older, that packaging looks different. But I might say, oh my gosh, I was up all last night. I had this one issue with my computer and, but I wasn't going to give up, you know? And so I did this and that didn't work. And then I did this and that didn't work. And I and actually, I'll give you a, real, a concrete example of this. My podcast company that I use has been super annoying, to be honest. <laughs> so like they reached out to me, um, this company reached out to me. I was with a company that's very popular. Everybody uses this platform. And another company reached out and said, oh, you should come over to this platform. We're going to offer you all these other things and it'll be great. And it sounded so good. And so I'm like, okay, which is a big deal when you move your podcast to another platform. It's a lot of work. And then... It's a long story and I don't want to get into it, but they started to erroneously bill me. So eventually it was supposed to be free. It was supposed to be a free plan, but I was on this thing and I was, so I'd get this bill every month for like a hundred dollars and I'm not supposed to be billed. I pay like annually 
when they had told me to come over, it was like free. So I feel a little suckered, but it's too much to move my podcast back to the other platform, which is fine. And so every month I get this bill and then I would talk to customer service and they're in Sweden. And so I can't even really get someone on the phone. And I was telling my oldest daughter the story with the intention of like, you know, that book, what do I want to care about? What do I want to, you know, put my attention towards? And I use this as an example with her. I said, because she was having her own problem in college, she changed her major and they weren't formally changing it. And so she had emailed like the professor and then it would seem like it was resolved. And then she would call or like, she'd have to get a record and they would have the wrong major again. And so she was getting so frustrated. And I was talking to her about this book and I was saying, we get to choose what we like want to really, what we want to care about. It's not that you're not going to do the things you need to do to resolve the issue, but am I going to put my emotion into it? Am I going to get hooked into it? Or am I going to say, it's on my to-do list is what I got to do. And so then I talked to her about exactly what we were just talking about as far as what this book said, you know, like you're going to, it's like a maze of, of barriers that you're going to have to go through on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And you get to choose which ones are going to snag you and really hook you in, which will happen. And some you're going to really, you're going to want to care about, and you're going to want to put emotion to and others you're not going to, you don't want to exhaust yourself. So I was using this story as an example. And I told her the whole story. I was like, and then I talked to customer service and they said, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And I said, okay, great. And then the next month, boom, got the other bill. And then I copied the, the email chain and I sent it to the next person. And they said, oh, that was a mistake. Don't worry about it. And boom, I got a bill. And then the next month, um, I you know emailed the whole email chain and I got another person and they said, oh, that's, we'll take care of that. And boom, I got another bill. And then I got a bill that said, why haven't you paid this bill? <laughs> you know, we're going to close down. You know, we're going to take this action because you're not paying this bill. Long story short, and this is probably maybe not always a good thing, but I said to her, she goes, oh my gosh, mom, that's the most annoying story. I can't, because I went into detail about it. And she's like, that's so, I can't believe they're doing it. And I said, you know what? It's not something I want to put my energy towards. It's on my to-do list just to follow up, follow up follow up, follow up. I'm putting no energy into it because it's. I have energy that I want to put in other places that matter more. And I said, that's a perfect example of your major. Like it will get fixed. It's just bureaucracy is part of life. Um, and so I use that as a modeling tool. Eventually I paid it. I said, I'm going to pay it because don't pay it. And I said, no, I'm going to pay it. And then they're going to owe me a credit. And I'd rather have it that way for this particular problem. It wasn't a lot of money in, instead of you know, getting the hassle. And so I did pay it. And they're like, oh, we'll have to give you credit. I don't even know where it's at because I chose not to care about it. But it doesn't mean that we lie victim. I wasn't a victim. It was like, it was a task to deal with. And so when you share these things with your kids, you can share these resiliency stories of what you're going to care about, what you're not going to care about. This is a stupid example, but it's the one that came into my head. We have bigger ones, obviously, in our family. But I think that using storytelling to help our kids with the intention of unpackaging this in a way that there's a lesson involved and it's authentic. It's not fake. It can be really helpful. How we approach challenges in life is really important. And so when we crumble, when we're the victim, it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to us. And my kids got a front row seat to that when their dad died, you know, and we were in a lot of grieving groups and they saw the the many different ways that people were handling grief. And there's no right or wrong way. It's a horrible thing to go through. But they saw the resiliency of this horrible thing happened to us and it was sudden and it just rocked our world. We woke up 
I'm trying to think who told me this. I think it was maybe my coach, but it was like, you know, and I've read this in books too. It's like you are in one country and you wake up and you're in another country. Or you're like, your world is the same world, but it's upside down. It's like, I think it was in a book that I read, like, it's okay to not be okay. But it's like, you wake up and everything looks the same, but everything is in uh, a different language. And that's how it felt, like completely disorienting, discombobulating. And as a family, and I had to model this, I could have crumbled. And some people do, and I don't fault them because it is the worst thing to go through. But it's saying this horrible thing happened. And yes, we can get really angry. We can get hooked into anger. And it would be kind of easy for us to get hooked into anger because he didn't really have to die, you know? And I guess it kind of comes back to your, maybe your spiritual or philosophical approach on these kind of things. But there was a mistake that happened, really. My husband had symptoms of a blood clot and he was concerned with it. And he called the doctor and the nurse said he was fine not to worry about it. And he died two days later. And so my daughter especially was very angry at the doctor and the nurse who took the phone call and completely understandably, I was as well. It took me a long time to write a letter and talk about what I learned from the loss and maybe what they should learn from the loss as well as a practice. But um, it took me a long time to write that letter. But I said to my daughter, we can, we can stew in anger, you know, and, and that, that can hold us, you know, we can hold space for anger forever. And it's okay to be angry, right? It's validating these emotions. It's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be agitated. But then it's like, what am I going to do with that? Do I want to saute in that and stew in that for the rest of my life? And then it becomes a boomerang. It's just, I'm throwing it out there. It's just going to wind hitting me back. I use that word a lot with my kids. It's a boomerang. You know, it winds up hurting yourself. Or do we want to say, what are we going to do with this mess that this, this wake of chaos that has been created because of this? And it takes time. And I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do, but building that resiliency of communicating the message of, Life is precious, and we now know how precious life is. And what do we value? We value time together. We value traveling. We value experiences. And so that's how we shifted our life. Okay, now we're going to travel. We're going to laugh. We're going to spend time together. And it's still messy. We travel and we bicker and we fight, and I lose my cool, and and then we make plans for the next trip. <laughs> you know, but that's showing resiliency. Now that's a huge example of resiliency because, you know, God forbid that happens to you. I hope no one has to experience that. I know many people do experience that and many people experience equally horrific things that happen in their world, but there are small, small examples of resiliency on a daily basis. How you're dealing with your own struggles. How are you dealing with maybe a relationship issue with your partner and your child is watching that or how you're dealing with like multiple things that are coming at you at once or how you're dealing with your child's anxiety or OCD. That in and of itself is modeling resiliency. If you're crumbling, and again, this is not a shaming thing. It's more of a introspection, like, how am I going to shift this for myself? But if I'm crumbling because my child is decompensating or their anxiety or OCD is getting worse, then I'm modeling crumbling. If I, if I say, okay, this is really, this is rough and this is hard, you know, we never want to discount or not validate the emotion that is connected to these things, because that's an important part is to accept the emotion and not, not berate ourselves, but, you know, 
come down hard, hard on ourselves for even feeling an emotion because we all need to feel our emotions, but then saying, what am I going to do with this? And being authentic with it. You know, I'm feeling overwhelmed by your own mental, by your mental health. Imagine how you feel about your own mental health, right? And so how am I going to hone that in for myself and say, we're taking it one day at a time, or this is our goal right now. This is our tunnel vision. Today's a new day. There's going to be messy progress. And I did a whole podcast on that. Was it last week? I don't know when it came out, but the messiness of the OCD anxiety progress and, and modeling, I'm not going to be a victim of why do I have a child with anxiety or OCD? Why did this happen to me? Why is my child, you know, not able to, you know, go to the prom like my, like other kids, or why can't my child, you know, sit in school like the other kids or go to school like the other kids or eat like other kids. When we get into that victim mentality for too long and we stew in it, we're not modeling resiliency. And that's not like a wag your finger, shame on you, but it's like, that's a great place to start. Sometimes we're so focused, like that woman who made that comment on my Facebook uh, post, so focused on the external around our kids that we forget a huge piece that we are actually controlling and we actually do have a say in and is, how am I going to show up for your mental health? Am I going to show up in a mentally resilient sort of way? Which means I'm going to have good days and bad days, but I'm going to be in tune with that and I'm going to recognize that and show up working on. And I always say working on because it's never going to be achieved, but am I, what am I working on? And that might be something for you to, you know, it might be something good to end this podcast with is what are we working on? And that's something that I always think about is what, what am I focusing on? And I don't want too many things because that could be too much, but what's your child working on? Getting tunnel vision is really helpful. So I'm working on being in the moment, I want to soak up the moment. I don't want to get lost in other thoughts or other things. I really want to show up for the moment, which I can't do all the time, but it's it's what I'm working on. And I want to work on accepting and loving my kids as they are, not as who I want them to be. And that's that can be hard for me because um, our kids show up in ways that we may not we may not like or we may not want them to be that way. We want them to be a different way and getting them to accept how they are in this moment is so, so helpful. And that's a practice. Um, that's a practice. If we have a, uh, an image in our head of what success is or how we want our kids to be, and we see our kids and we see the discrepancy between what we want and who they are, the practice is to love them for who they are currently. Oh gosh, that's such a hard one for some of us. It is a hard one for me. And it depends on your child, to be completely honest. Harder for me to accept one of my kids who's more quirky and in their own head and versus my other kids who are much more like with it and are much more socially connected. And so you might have one child that is harder for you to really accept them for who they are. And for me, that's an, this is going to sound so cheesy, but this is actually coming from my coach. It's an invitation. That's what she always says. It's an invitation for me to practice. It's like, what is this inviting me to do? This is how she talks. She's very good. I really like her. It's an invitation and see you're benefiting from her because she's coming through my mouth now, but it's an invitation to practice that. And so I'm learning to accept, accept myself for who I am, accept my kids for who they are. It's not that I want to accept that my child has, you know, anxiety or OCD or 
this really quirkiness or some socially off behavior or whatever it is, but it's that I need to love them at this moment. I will love them at the next moment. And part of that is accepting who they are, not who I want them to be. And that can be tricky. It can, but it's a great daily practice. So I hope that you found this helpful. Um, Don't forget to check out all my free webinars at natashadaniels.com slash webinars. Um, You'll find a whole bunch of free resources there. And if you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher to rate it. And if you have a few extra moments and leave a review, you know, I greatly appreciate that. And if you leave one, I'll read it out loud. That's what I do to show my gratitude. I was just looking. I don't think I see any new ones, but sometimes they sneak in and I'm not seeing them on Apple. So, but I'm too jet lagged to, to be, and this was actually a long podcast. I did not, did not plan on it being so long, but once I get on this topic, I just cannot stop. So I hope that you found it helpful and I'll be back on a new topic next Tuesday. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you then. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 